seated. Please turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. It's been a couple months, but two or three months ago we started looking at 2 Thessalonians and looking at the prayer of the Apostle Paul as a way to show us how we can grow in prayer. Let us pray now and then I will read the the chapter and segments. Father, we need instruction. We need models on how to pray and, and we need your spirit to bring our hearts alive. So we ask for both tonight. We thank you for the Apostle Paul, a man who was doing war against the church, a man who saw your glory, was knocked flat on his back, and through that experience became one of your very own that you used to set the world on fire. And so, Lord, we ask as we look at this man who who had a, a vision of you of some kind, who had a special taste and glimpse of your glory this side of heaven, would we pay a special attention to his prayers? Would we be taught by them? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you're probably familiar with that phenomenon that once, once you recognize something, once you've been aware of it, you start picking it up all the time, whether it's a a brand of clothing or shoes that you wear or it's a car that you drive. All of a sudden, you start picking them out all over the place. And maybe it's a new concept or thought and you realize how this is really all um, occurs in all of life and it's not just that this original thing that you had. Well, that's something about this passage that I think we in America miss or at least would just kind of skim over. And so I'm going to start tonight reading uh, the sections that I read two months ago, three months ago summarize that and then we'll move on. I think this is how many Americans would read this passage as far as actually paying attention to it. Okay? Starting in verse 1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Moving down to verse 11. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his tongue and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I think that's how a lot of times we, as we were reading this, might, might come for things we might pick up on. And that's what we talked about last time. And of course, it's appropriate to kind of pick at sections. And here Paul, as we read, he wants the church to grow up and to act in that growth and maturity. And even we would have in our prayer that God would give you the power to accomplish all the good things that your faith prompts you to do. And in that kind of maturation process, we don't want to be stunted Christians. And that's a wonderful thing to pray about. But there's something in the middle that really fuels Paul's prayer at the end. 
And that is that you would see God's glory in your rescue from judgment. Let's read verses 4 through 10 now. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. See, nestled in that prayer for growth on both sides is the reason why you need to be growing because you're growing in the midst of the crucible and yet Paul does not see this as a bad thing. He sees this really as our entrance to see God's glory. And so tonight, I want us to pray to see God's glory both in the present and in the future as it's manifested in suffering. How does that work? Well, in the present, Paul gives thanks for these Christians persevering in suffering. Right? And he, he actually uses this as a calling card to other churches. He's boasting about how they're faithful in this suffering. And that, maybe that's something we should learn about, right? What, what, what should we be boasting about? Other churches, you know, when we say, was, is it, should it be their, their explosive growth, their, their relevance to the culture, their, their successful building plan, or that they're, they're steadfast and faithful in the trials and the persecutions and afflictions that come on? Now, how does this show God's glory, Paul says? Well, first of all, he says it's, a, it's the evidence of God's righteous judgment. This is verse 5. This is, this is a tricky phrase here. And, and what he's saying. But what I understand Paul to say here is the fact that you stand firm in your faith is proof of God's work in your life. Right? Your perseverance is that fruit. And, and this means that God will be righteous. His judgment is, is that he is, he's going to spare you because of the grace that he's given and the fruit that works out of that. It's, it's, it is basically saying you have received salvation. The fruit shows that you will be pardoned at the final judgment. You will be pronounced not guilty as you already are in Christ. And this faithfulness should do first two things. First of all, right, it is a sign of God's incredible work in you. Why else? You think about it. If, if everyone else is going another way, we humans are creatures of habit, and the culture is going one way, and Christians are going the other way, and they are suffering persecution or ridicule or just pressure, you can think about today, why would you do that? Why, you would have to have a very good reason to not do what everyone else is doing. It's a sign of God's work in your life. That's in, and it's also a reminder of the coming glory to keep you homesick and yearning for what is to come. As, as you experience suffering now, it keeps us um, from being too attached to the home. Our, our, this world is our home. And it keeps us looking to the, the future. I think Paul is saying something similar in Philippians 
when he talks to them and says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. And then he says, this, listen to this, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Again, he's saying the fact that you're remaining faithful under current pressure is a sign that you will, you will receive future vindication, even though they seem to be in power right now. This is actually a sign of their destruction to come. They are actually in the worst place, even though they seem to be the ones living the life of ease. Well, let's just stop and think about this for a moment. So what do we do? We, last Saturday, Sunday night, we talked about, preached on Daniel and the lion's den. What do you do when you don't have a lion's den to face? What, what do you do when you don't have, in our country yet, that, that direct persecution and physical sufferings? Um, the ancient church really wrestled with this because they took suffering to heart. The, the second century was the church was birthed through martyrdom and the blood of the saints was one of the things that just catapulted the church's growth. And so coming into the third and fourth century, as persecution began to slack off and finally Christianity was made first tolerable and then legal, Christians who took their faith really seriously said, we don't have any suffering anymore. We're not receiving persecution. What do we do? It was, a, it was a legitimate question. Now, they had kind of venerated the, the saint, martyrdom to a sainthood. Uh, Carl Truman, who, you know, slightly, um, you know, just British kind of understated humor, says, well, we're not persecuted. What should we do? And he says, I know. They said, we'll persecute ourselves. Right? And so we go out into the desert and, you know, we stand up and we don't sit down. So we get like these GI issues and... Um, now, there's, there's definitely some, perhaps, some legalistic elements of, of that expressions. But you think about it, they, they really were saying, wait a second, what, what do we do with the fact that we don't have in, in our lives? And maybe what this calls for is perhaps slightly a, a call for a chastened monasticism. Right? So we're, we're not, not going out and, and separating ourselves from the world, but, but realizing there are times when we deny ourselves pleasure and joys simply because we're waiting for the future. Right? Um, fasting Fridays is like a tiny, tiny little bit of experience of that. If you just give up as much as you can up till lunch and, and you ask the Lord to move your mind towards prayer and its kingdom, you're just saying, for this little bit, I'm denying things that you know, make me feel a little better that I need a long term. To be able to, to remember that this, I'm still yearning for the glory to come. Right? And so I, just, just think about that in your life. I, I don't think we're on the side that errs towards legalism in this area. There are other ways, not that we're persecuting ourselves, but we choose to engage in some activity or not that would help us to remember that, that future glory. Because really, Paul says, that's, that's what we're waiting for. And that's really what he's focusing here on this, this future glory. And there's, there's three parts to this glory. They kind of overlap. But there's first of all, vindication of the Christians. Right? You, you are suffering persecution now, but you will be granted relief when Jesus is revealed. And so those who are afflicting you now, they will be afflicted. And you will be vindicated, and you'll be, by implication... 
when you're given relief, pronounced righteous. You are in the right. Think about what this would mean to our, our brothers and sisters who now live in China or India and are called unpatriotic or blasphemers in, in a Muslim world because they confess the name of Christ. Or even especially younger Christians in America who are just called hateful and bigoted because they gently take a stand in what they believe God has designed for the sexes and what's pronounced love, good, and, good and true. So there is something for Christians to hold on to, this future vindication when we experience suffering now. And then retribution for the godly. This is a, this is a hard truth to meditate on, I think especially for today, but, but we need to hear it. Right? The, the gospel is not only about God's grace for, for believers and his people. It's not just about the news of salvation for sinners, but eternal judgment for unbelievers. That's, that's hard. There's a tendency to separate the Old Testament, and that's judgment. New Testament is grace. That's not what you... just you know, Unqualified grace. God just... Universalism. God accepts everyone. God saves everyone. That is not what you see when you read the New Testament on its own terms. And, and it's not just Paul going, you know, a, a little bit too excessive. The, the first words of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark is, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. Right? There's, there is this repentance or judgment pronouncement. And, and that's what Paul's doing when he's fleshing out that he will come and he, when he's revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel. F.F. Bruce, the commentator, is saying all these descriptions here are really descriptions of, of Yahweh, Old Testament, now given to Jesus, the divine warrior coming to judge those. And it's strong words. Jesus will pour out his wrath on those who do not know him, right? And that's just not know about him, but reject him and do not obey. And that, that's the other side of belief, right? They're not living their life in, in lines of belief with the gospel. And Paul's pretty clear here. They'll be cast away from his glory. And, and, and there are those who would like to talk about some kind of, you know, extinguishing or annihilationist uh, view of hell. But Paul talks about an eternal punishment. Right, where, where eternal souls will be cast from the glory of God and will some, and will, there'll be a place of misery and horror. And perhaps in earlier ages when you're separated from people and you don't really have contact with people who believe differently than you, and it's, it's a little bit easier to say, okay, yeah, that's them, that's them, you know, we're good, that's them. Um, I think more than any time, it's hard today because, you know, you, we rub shoulders all the time with people who aren't believers and aren't acting in any, quote, un- overtly wicked ways. Right? There, are, there, are, there are many people in America who at least have a veneer of kindness and civility and some who are very genuinely kind that are not believers, right? Uh, and, and media and technology allow you to get to know people virtually. And I, I was listening to two podcasts by two unbelievers. One was a Muslim. I was listening to an interview of... His last name's Khan. He's the mayor of London now. Immigrant. And then a Navy SEAL, who I don't believe is a Christian. People who are capable of just profound insight, bravery, skill. He said, I get ISIS, right? Them receiving this judgment. But these people? They're, they're just like me. In a lot of ways, they're, they're better citizens than me. 
you can't get too deep here today, but Scripture does challenge our whitewashed view of harm none, do as you like humanity. Right? That as long as I don't hurt someone else, I'm a good person, and, and God can just accept me. Paul says each one of us owes allegiance to our Creator, and when we put ourselves in the center, we're stealing His glory. And so therefore suffers judgment. And that's where, when you take Jesus' teaching seriously, that we are liable for every thought and word before an infinite and holy God, all of a sudden we realize that Jesus is just not an add-on to our life, like yoga or Pilates or Whole Foods. It's all or nothing, where we surrender to him. This is the weight, and it is the beauty of the gospel. Right? A, a slight, if the gospel is a slight fix, then it's only a slight rescue from your life. And when you realize that your life is really, you're, you need a lot more than just a slight rescue, you will be helpless, hopeless. But when we realize and the bottom drops out that we need everything, Jesus, you have to give up everything. But then you receive the kingdom. And you receive the promise of the upcoming glory. Then you know the beauty of the gospel as well as the weight. And Paul says that the third part of this future glory is as believers in your rapture of Jesus coming. You know in the, in the hymns we sing about rapture, but it's not the dispensationalist rapture where we get caught up in the clouds with Jesus. It's, it's that we get caught up in his glory and we get focused on him in delight. And Paul says, in the same time, simultaneously as this judgment, you will be wrapped up in praise to God. And in some ways, this is intertwined with God's judgment on the wicked unbeliever. You can't, you can't get around this if you soak in Scripture. Uh, Elizabeth and I have been singing through some of the Psalms recently in a Psalter. And as you're singing them, you realize just how in one breath it talks about blessing for the, the righteous and judgment for the wicked. That's, that's how the Psalters work. And we sang a psalm to open. You know, what, now, I know we were start kind of just getting the, used to the tune, but what were your thoughts as you're singing, Stand up, O God, and crush the wicked? So, is that not a hard thing to sing a little bit? And, and, and the tune of that is it can, can kind of be almost ominous, impending. You can, the tune captures some of the thoughts on that, on that song. Um, well, what's a godly way to view this judgment? Certainly not a joyful spite, right? Yeah! Yeah! You get it. You get what you deserve. Um, that, would, that would not be godly. There should be a righteous sadness. Right? Loving ones, friends, unbelievers who are, who are standing before God's judgment if they, don't res- if they don't repent. There should also be a sober understanding that this is what we deserve. I think this is where we start to see and observe God's own glory. That as we're standing there as redeemed saints, we're realizing that should have been me. That's what my rescue was. This is incredible. And you will stand back at that time in the Lord's righteous presence and realize that now I'm reflecting his glory in a way that that I couldn't and, and, and shouldn't be here in a sense, but only because of God's justice. Now, there's some mystery here, right? You could ask a lot of questions that I can't answer, at least too deep. But we do see here that God's judgment is something that will be part of his glory and that you will marvel at at the time of his coming. And you will get caught up in delight in him. 
Not only in the judgment, but that's, that's part of it. That's what Paul's saying here. So what does this have to do with prayer? Focusing on prayer tonight. It, it tells us that the stakes of the gospel are high. The, the stakes of salvation are high. We have this mystery again. God's free offer of the gospel, yet his monogistic work in people's lives and how that works together. Uh, but it does that. We, it, it should drive us to prayer, right? That, that we would pray for those people um, who are in our lives. That they would see God's glory. That, that God would open the eyes of their hearts. And you can also ask that God would pray to give you a vision of the upcoming glory this week as you go through your own trials and difficulties, even if they're not persecutions. So this week, I think about this. Would you, would you ask God to give you the eyes to see that his gospel is far bigger than a little self-help fix? Right? It's not just a little add-on to get us through the week, but it is our life. It is our It is our glory. And that we would realize that when we bow down to him, that's where we're going to receive um, ultimate joy. So let's pray. Father, we're about to come into a time of praying to you. And would we do it soberly and with joy? Two emotions that we may not think go together, but... But as we look at your greatness, would we be moved to awe and rejoicing, Father? Thank you that you have saved us. Thank you that you have made us alive. Father, I pray that this week, as we start just another normal week in our routine of our lives, that the gospel would be fresh and powerful in us. And that you would use that in our lives and those around us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to, I I decided, as often is the case, about two hours after the bulletin was printed, that there was another song that, that captured this.